Hey y'all, this is Hamza, and I'm super happy we get to hang out for a little bit. Alright guys, welcome to Hanging Out with Hamza. Today I have special guests on. Uh, this is a twofer podcast, um, so I'm going to have two guests on. One is a great mentor slash big brother of mine. I've known him for quite some time, and he was one of the main reasons I moved to Austin. Uh, we share a connection through Tesla and just a short, like a shared love for it. And uh, he also connected me with Robin, who was on the last episode. So his name is Anwar Beck. Uh, he's a proud Kazakh. He's a realtor, <laughs> oh, Kazakh. engineer in his past. He has a whole list of uh, credits to him. And alongside him is Matt. Matt is equally as incredible as Anwar Beck. Um, they're great side by side because they kind of fill in fill in for each other where they're lacking and um yeah they just make for great partners um met matt through Rebecca, obviously and matt is part of matt home realty at compass and they are partners that work together in the real estate market so i wanted to have them on to kind of educate as many people as possible about real estate and just kind of help out uh, a lot of healthcare workers in that field so without further ado i'll let them introduce themselves uh, Matt Holm here, um, 15 years in Austin, um, lived in California before that, um, before that I lived in Europe with my wife in Spain and dragged her around the world uh, to a couple places, landed here 15 years ago and Austin was much smaller, around a million people, we've doubled in size and starting to grow up into a bigger city, um, really fun to be able to be part of the real estate uh, world here, see some of those changes, be a part of some of those changes. And um, I'm looking forward to the next 15 years here. It's really a vibrant city, and I love this place. If my name is Anwar Beck. If we have more time, Matt should elaborate on a story, how he was traveling, living in a VW bus, traveling through Europe, this American guy from California, and meets this Spanish girl minding her own business. We'll have an individual podcast with each other. Okay, girl. okay, we should do so that. We'll save that. That way we can dive into story. it. The yeah. story, but it's a yeah. super, super amazing story. Uh, my name is Anwar Beck, Iman Baif. It's a mouthful for a lot of people, so I usually introduce myself as Anwar Beck. Uh, the origin of my name is from Kazakhstan. I am a very proud Kazakh. I uh, immigrated... The, from Kazakhstan with my family in the early 90s. So I'm 39 years old, so moved here when I was nine, so spent 30 years in the US, spent half, I guess, 12 years in oil and gas. I uh, was an oil and gas executive, um, transitioned out of that, kind of uh, had a midlife shift in careers. I uh, We sold our house, my wife and I sold our house, traveled the world, did Machu Picchu, Patagonia, Kilimanjaro, saw the Northern Lights, that whole bit, and then uh, landed in Austin since my wife was born and raised here. And uh, yeah, connected with Big Bro over here, started doing real estate with him. Cool. Well, um, I guess I'll start it off by kind of asking how you guys initially met, what brought you guys together, and how that kind of started this partnership. I think you tell the more animated story on this one. No, no, you, I, I want to hear your side, actually. <laughs> so, uh, uh, respectfully, we are, uh, respectively, we both started Tesla Owners uh, uh, Organizations, me in Austin, him in the Woodlands. And about, what, seven, eight years ago? Almost eight years we ago. We were at a meeting in uh, Northern California in Fremont for all the uh, summit for the presidents of clubs <clears throat> around the world. 
and we were hanging out and we had a very much a similar energy, I think. And uh, there were some particular people there that did not have that same energy that were very critical of the support that Elon had given for the clubs. And we're just sort of going negative in the meeting. And he and I are like, and this is a labor of love. We were inspired by the man. We're inspired by the product. Like, let's get out of here and go hang out. So we literally left this kind of negative final session and went out and hung out and and finished the night uh, i think you were riding a mechanical bull i found the one mechanical bull in fremont california <clears throat> and managed to uh mount it and dismount it very quickly but uh <clears throat> matt and i joke that like you know this kind of negative nancy person is who connected us originally um if it wasn't it wasn't anything i mean we just i didn't like what he was saying so i looked to my left looked to my right i was like hey I don't want to hear this anymore. You guys want to come hang out, day drink with me. So that's how we ended up meeting. This was eight years ago. So although we're both from Texas, we ended up uh, getting connected through the Tesla world. And uh, it seems like most of the good things that have happened to me in my life have somehow, even this guy. Yeah, I, mean, I think we're... that's the beautiful thing is I think Tesla has kind of brought us together. And yeah. you know, despite what's going on in the news and media and stuff, I think there's a lot of love behind it that we all share and that's what brought you guys together and as a result brought me together with you guys so mm -hmm. uh, it's been fun and that's why we have it back here kind of as like a symbolic union of us yeah um, when we met he was working in oil and gas youngest executive running some big lng pipeline in africa and all this stuff in mozambique very very impressive but i'm like hey man you work for the enemy <laughs> what are yeah. you doing and uh i'm like you you support tesla but you're working for oil and gas i was just rising yeah but he's like yeah you know i don't just not a great fit with my you know personal life and my work life and he's like you seem like you enjoy what you do like tell me about what you do and so that was kind of when we first started talking business and he's like you know, that led a couple of years later, really, where he kind of took his retirement from that space and moved to Austin. And I mean, we've just had a great synergy and fun time since he's he's been here. What's it been now? Three, three years, four About years? Three years when we partnered together. Yeah, I think it's the same thing is like, you know, you did that to him. You made him move to Austin. He did that to me. You know, he told me, like, you have to move to Austin. There's so much going on here and there's so much you know, development. And I wouldn't have taken that leap of faith if it wasn't for him too. So I think he took a page out of your book. And so it's been kind of nice how that carried over. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the other thing I wanted to mention to you guys as a background to them is most people associate like the most successful real estate agents with being like head to toe in suits, you know, really like kind of braggadocious, uh, very like pretentious. And I think you guys go completely against that grain in your personality, your demeanor, the way you approach people. And as even with me, you know, when I initially talked about buying a house, there was no down talk about me being a young kid or anything like that. You guys approach me just as you do with all your other clients. And I think that's why you were the most successful realtor in Austin. And I think that's why Honor Beck is so great because you guys treat everyone equally, no matter what their financial background is. So with that being said, I did want to ask, like, besides me seeing that from an outside perspective, what do you feel sets you guys apart from other realtors in Austin or what made you guys different? Let me, let me start it off and I can pass it off to Matt. Prior to meeting Matt home, what I thought about realtors was equal to like used car salesmen, essentially. I don't know if that was like my own bad experiences before, yeah. but to me, most realtors that I met were just like salespeople trying to sell me on something and whatever. Like I've, I've interacted a few times and never just had a bad taste in my mouth. And I mean, he was a friend first. Like, like I said, like when, you know, when you meet somebody and you have that instant connection becomes like a big brother, that's how it was between us. It wasn't a realtor to client relationship. It was just like, he's a friend. 
Um, and ultimately, when we started talking real estate, I found out really what set him apart. It was Matt, prior to getting into real estate, was an elementary school teacher and uh, did wedding photography in the weekends, you know. So I think that educational aspect, how he approached his initial career as an educator, transferred over and translated into his uh, real estate career. Because he told me when he started working with me, is like, hey, like, I'm basically like educating you with excitement. I'm trying to like, you are ultimately the one that's going to make the decision. Like he knows a lot about, he's done this over 15 years by himself, closed over 1500 transactions. Like that's by volume. Like there's nobody even come second to Matt in Austin. But like, I think that aspect, he just still to this day, I see it like he educates his clients and gives them the best resources to go make that choice. Yeah. There's never selling. I've never seen a realtor who, like his clients will want to sell and might be like, I'll hold on to that. Cause I think the Austin real estate market is going to do well over the next five, 10 years. You know, like most realtors would just be like, yeah, of course, like let's get a commission. And that's really what drew me to him. And when I was looking, cause I was in a little bit of like a transition period, didn't know what I wanted to do. I never would have even looked at real estate if it wasn't for Matt. Like I saw the way he did it and respected it. And I was like, dude, like I kind of like this. I like, his jive and then we started kind of meshing together so that's kind of i kind of like distinguished that and and you know that was the thing that really drew me to the industry it was actually the way he did it yeah. it wasn't other realtors and matt what do you think like you know besides the obvious what he's kind of clearly defined do you feel like there's anything he might have not have mentioned that's unique about you or something you approach differently that you think is unique yeah i mean i think you know malcolm gladwell's ten thousand hours ready to do anything that enough times you can do it in your sleep and you can you become an expert at it right and so my passion is is truly educating people and i get excited about austin i see growth patterns all throughout austin and so i'm i'm analyzing kind of where the market's going what are projections for the next six months year five years ten years and i really want to try to place people in the best investment and I'm always thinking down the road, like, okay, what's that going to look like for them in their next transition in life? And how can I set them up for the best investment strategy? And, and when I have clients that, you know, recognize that I've done that for them, they send me friends and family and all that. Like, I truly do it for the warm fuzzies, which sounds weird, I guess. But I love the hug and the like, hey, man, thanks for taking care of us. Yeah. And I know that if, I, if, I'm, if I'm able to do that with enough people, the money comes. I'm not really concerned about each commission and I know a lot of people that <clears throat> have been here and doing real estate for a while they kind of start stratifying where they're going to work and what what level um, I work with everybody that gets referred to me because they're getting referred by a friend past client um, somebody said hey this this guy's really good you should use him and it could be your grandma's getting a $250,000 studio that she needs to move into or it could be a $20 million lake house and I, I know that if I do this six seven days a week like I love to do that you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do okay. Yeah, and I think uh, I mean it applies to dentistry in the same way. And I learned a lot of that from you. Is like you approach everybody as an individual and as a human being and not a number. And yep. not only do you get the benefit of like you know helping somebody, but you also get a long term customer or patient or uh, you know client because they'll send you people based on their experience and they like people remember how you made them feel, right? So you that's like an important aspect of it, not just like what you sold them. And so I, I felt that when I was talking to you guys about real estate, I've never felt pressured by you. I've never felt like 
you know, spoken down to. So I think that is important because the feeling's always been positive in that regard. Mm -hmm. um, but coming as a healthcare provider, I wanted to definitely ask you guys a lot of questions about that because a lot of the listeners are dentists, um, doctors, nurses, travel nurses, especially. Um, so in that realm, I know you guys spoke about the recent doctor's loan. So I wanted to know uh, more in that regard. And, you know, for people looking into buying real estate, whether it's to rent out or to own, um, what kind of information you'd like to share with them? Let me like out outline it at a high level. Then Matt actually had a recent transaction that he could speak to uh, kind of like happened recently. But these doctor's loans, they also call them uh, heroes programs. It's essentially like up to a million dollars. In some cases, it can be over a million dollars depending on the situation, but it's zero down. So typically, a typical transaction, you, you'd bring like 20%. If you don't put 20% down on a million dollar house, for instance, so 200,000, you'd pay uh, private mortgage insur insurance until you get to that 20%. With these doctor's loans, not only do you not pay the down payment, but the, you don't get a mortgage insurance either. Is there any drawback to any of that or no, you're just getting it's all the benefits? The, the number one drawback that I would say is like right now, if interest rates are hovering at like 6%, it's probably going to be a little bit like a point, point and a half above what the normal, but again, you're not bringing any money to the table. Mm -hmm. um, and, so, and I've actually seen about a quarter point. So it has, yeah. it's not a huge jump. Um, so my, my client just locked in at a 5.875 and zero down. Um, how, 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 what was the house? The house was a little over a million dollars. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were able to get that for him and I negotiated the closing costs from the seller. And so he literally is getting his earnest money back at closing. So that's a pretty remarkable program. And to his point about PMI, uh, just to explain that a bit better, essentially, if you put down less than 20% in a transaction, typically the bank looks at you as a potential risk. If it goes to foreclosure, you know, do they have enough equity in there with your down payment to make it worthwhile for them to take that risk? So until you get to 20%, there's that extra insurance that covers the bank's losses if you were to lose the house. And just so, to, sorry to dumb it down, what does PMI stand for? Private mortgage insurance. Okay. Um, and so it typically goes away once you reach 22% equity in the property for whatever reason they chose 22 once you get that loan. The nice part about the doctor's loans, and by the way, it's not just for doctors, it's really, I would call it a prescription writer um, loan. So this is good for PAs. Uh, this is good for anyone that can write a prescription. Typically, can get even this. even like vets. If you guys have listeners that are veterinarians, <laughs> nurses, pharmacists, uh, pharmacist, yeah. yeah. Essentially, like the easy way to think about it is if you can write a prescription, you qualify. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So and it does not come with the few hundred dollars a month of private mortgage insurance, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, and you're paying a slight increase in rate, but I, I think it's it's valuable. I think to hang on to that money. What I tell people is. You're going to have shifts every five years. Typically, people change, right? The, their time in life, they need more space, they need less space, they need particular schools or proximity to something, right? So statistically, people move three to seven years, roughly. And in that amount of time, if you can hold on to more of your money, put the least amount down, um, then you're going to have that and continue, hopefully, to save for that next house. My goal with my clients is very different from most realtors where they're like, oh, we'll sell that one and get the next one, sell that and get the next one, roll it forward. My goal is that my clients, every time they have a need for change, we add another asset to their portfolio because that's the creation of wealth. Right? Okay. So, you know, I'm 51. If I, if I had done that from 25, I'd automatically have five more houses without even trying. 
right? So if there's a way to hold back on putting down more money, that's great. Um, if you don't write a prescription and you're, there's other programs for uh, nurses and for traveling nurses um, that are also very attractive. Um, there's some down payment assistance programs. And then there's, of course, FHA, which is a 3% down loan, comes with a higher private mortgage insurance or 5% down conventional. So a lot of people don't realize, and it only works on your primary residence. You can very, anyone can put down 5% on a home and, and purchase a home. Um, and so you don't need to save 20%. So, you know, that's something that a lot of people, by the time you save to 20%, you know, we have right now a buyer's market. There's a great little window right now where I'm getting some remarkable deals for people. And then what we'll do is refinance to a better rate in a year or two when rates come back down. So, you know, the, the best time to buy, as they say, is kind of silly saying, I guess, but it's always five years ago. But it's true. Yeah. You go back historically and look every five years back, you'd be like, gosh, I should have bought five years ago. Yeah. You're going to be living somewhere. And if you're paying rent, it's literally just people complain about interest, but your rent is all interest. Right. You're just throwing that money out, you know, versus paying yourself basically in a forced savings account is the way I look at a house. OK, um, so there's a number of strategies we can talk about. But, um, yeah, there's something that we can probably do for just about it. Yeah. And we can always dive deeper into this. We've had questions down the road. We'll do individual podcasts yeah. with you guys. But I'll ask questions from my perspective because we've had a lot of these discussions. Yeah, that yeah, have helped sure. me. Um, but as somebody that's, you know, a dentist that wants to eventually have his own dental office and also own his own business, um, what do you recommend for people who are looking to purchase a practice or purchase, uh, an office and also purchase a home? What would you say would be the best course of action to do that? And in what order do you, would you recommend as a real estate agent? So also probably different than most realtors. If you have a business that you can put money into, I would focus on the business even before home ownership. And is there a reason or advantage to that? Yeah, your business is going to grow money for you and can make you money as you continue to grow that business. So I think first you need to do is work on your business, your career. I think that's <clears throat> essential. Right. Um, because your home really is not an investment until you sell it right. or you turn it into an investment property. It is saving you on rent, but you're not growing your wealth as quickly as you can with the business. So right. if it was me, I would look at either leasing a, a, a space or, you know, buying a space is a possibility as well. But I would focus on business even before a home. Right. Um, and then in that order, your business is going to create enough income to be able to generate to get the home that you want to get into. Right. And is uh, there, um, like, I know you can purchase a business under a business like a LLC, or you can create one of those and put it under that, and then you purchase the home. Would you have to purchase the home under your own personal identity instead of the LLC? Like, is there a difference between that doing one or the other? If you're able to purchase under an LLC with a business or lease underneath that, it doesn't go on your personal, um, your personal debt. credit, personal okay. debt. And so your debt to income ratio is freed up. Okay. Um, and you're able to purchase your primary and additional properties potentially without that being added into being summed into it. You're going to have a corporate, you know, that once again, I'll, I'll say, uh, talk to your CPA about some of these details because yeah, yeah, sure. I have to be careful. Yeah. But I've, I've done this so many times and I've helped so many people at different stages. Um, but yes, it makes sense to form an entity for your personal house. Under your personal name makes the most sense. You're going to get the right. best rate doing it as an individual. But if you're purchasing a rental property or an Airbnb, you would do it under the LLC. Well, that's another good question. So you could. Yeah. Now, what my CPA recommended to me, I'll give you my personal uh, uh, story. I've got, we have over 
uh, over 10 homes. Uh, once you get over 10, you can't put it under your personal name anymore. But up to those 10 first homes, we actually purchased them. And I asked my CPA, should I be forming individual LLCs or a umbrella LLC for this? And what he said is, A, when you, if you have, the, the idea would be uh, legal protection, but the LLC veil has been pierced, meaning there's still ways that they can go in and find out who the principals are on the LLC. And you have to hire particular LLC attorneys that are more expensive than a normal defense attorney if there was some issue. Right. What he suggested is for 500 bucks a year, you can get a $2 million umbrella policy or you know, $1,000 a year, get a $5 million umbrella policy that protects you as you walk around in the world anyway. It's a good thing for you to have. Yeah. But then that allows you protection from those properties that are under your personal name. Likelihood of you know, using all of that as, as uh, for legal protection is relatively unlikely. I've owned property for forever, knock on wood, you know, have never had a lawsuit. Right. I'm a good landlord. Right. Um, but it's still smart to have that protection. I'd rather spend $1,000 a year on $5 million in asset per, in, in umbrella protection than to file, because each LLC requires another tax return. Right. So think about what you pay to a CPA. Now times that times each of the properties, I'll have 10 tax returns. So his advice to me was not to do that in an LLC in my particular case. Okay. And then in terms of the uh, like the tax advantage we talked about in the past, I know a lot of these questions I've already asked you guys, but I want to reiterate them. Mm -hmm. um, so what was the, you, you did mention that there are tax benefits to having these properties. And do you have any recommendations for people looking into this, what, what you can get out of it as a result? Well, for your primary residence, you get to write off currently up to $10,000 of combined uh, property tax and state tax. In Texas, we don't have state tax, so right. you can write up to $10,000 of property tax, which for a lot of people will cover a good chunk of it. And then you get to write up, um, write off up to $750,000 of a loan that in that interest in it as your primary as well. So you get to write off um, that amount. So take your interest that you paid for the year, take your property tax for the year, that creates a number, and then take that times your tax rate, and that represents your savings on your federal tax. Right. So I remember the first time we bought our first house in 1999, we'd had the same CPA for a couple of years, and I'd gone in, and our tax, I hadn't changed my, with what I was making and what was being taken out of my paycheck, and I got back like $4,000. And I'm like, dude, you made a mistake. Like, I, I need to pay this. Like, mm -hmm. how did this happen? He's like, oh no, you bought a house. This was a $190,000 house in 1999, in California, right? Um, and so imagine and extrapolate that to a 300 or 400, or $500,000 right. house. It really adds up. So that's the value of your primary. Yeah. When you start getting investment property, it gets even more robust because mm -hmm. you add to that something called depreciation. So the federal government will let you depreciate the sticks and bricks of the house. So let's use a $500,000 house. Maybe they give, you give 250,000 of value to the dirt and 250,000 of value to the structure. That structure can be depreciated over 28 years. So you take 250,000 divided by 28, and that's how much you get to write off per year. So call it roughly 10,000 a year. So add that in addition to writing off, in the case of rental properties, to an unlimited amount of property tax and interest. Now all of a sudden, these assets really start saving you money on your federal tax. So one of my um, most successful investors I work with has a very large W-2 income and owns 300 properties and pays very, very little federal tax completely legally because each of the properties he adds, even though he's making positive money on the rents, 
it shows up as a net loss because of all the write-offs. So okay. it's a really interesting. The government likes homeowners, people that are invested in owning dirt, defending their property, taking care of it, and they assume if you own it, you're going to be one of those people. Right. It's like it's a reward a, system. Exactly. Okay. Private business, real estate. The other, um, if we look at it like zoom out 10,000 foot level, this is where like I think we make a great team combination here is Matt spent 15 years in real estate. I've over a decade been really, really immersed in the investment world. I'm an engineer by background with an MBA. I feel like I kind of like won the lottery early days. I invested in Tesla and Bitcoin and all that kind of stuff. That's another kind of aspect of this to look at is you've got your business bucket, you've got real estate. And I agree with Matt, like the Kiyosaki, you know, asset versus liabilities. I think homes are liabilities. Your unless unless your primary it's not yeah. an unless property. unless it's an investment property there's ways to make it an investment but yeah. i think it comes secondary to creating a business right i put my primary home under the same bucket as like the cash that i have in my bank account it's almost like like a savings for savings i agree with him like i'm putting money away right but the third aspect of it where i focus a lot is the investment um that's something that i think is important to talk about i've a lot of the way I invest, like I kind of, I know that I'm dumb. Like I'm not as smart as these like people that go to school, get PhDs in finance and sit on, you know, Wall Street. A lot of what's worked out for me is kind of the basic Warren Buffett type principles. And there's three things that have like, that are my, my pillars that I kind of follow with investment that I can share with your listeners. Number one is if you, it's not about timing the market, but time in the market. I think that in, that applies not only to the investment, like, you know, buying and selling stocks, but also housing. It's always like that story, right? Like, oh, I wish I would have bought 10 years ago. I think stocks are the same way. So number two, I would say is, uh, I don't know where I heard this, but it's, I think it's, they say Warren Buffett kind of is responsible for this quote, but if you wouldn't invest in a company for 10 years, don't invest for 10 minutes. So when I make these investment decisions, it's like in my head, it's like a decade or two. Like I'm not thinking there are a lot of my peer group, like in, you know, the your peer group, our peer group, every conversation I get into, all these guys are like, they think they're super smart. Everybody thinks they're brilliant. They're trying to time commodities. They're trying to time gold and whatever. Trade. They trade Bitcoin. I'm like, dude, like, I keep it very basic. I'm like, you know, in 10 years, do I think Tesla is going to be around? Yes. Do I think Google is still going to be around? Yes. Like that's kind of how I, it's very, very basic. But the way, when I'm making moves, it's very few moves, but I make big moves. And the third one, I think even my very wealthy friends get this wrong is let it, let your winners ride. So that's the one where like, you know, there's very few you know, once in a generational companies like Google's, Facebook, I think Tesla is one of them. Um, like my big strategy is I'm still going to hold Tesla and continue to buy into Tesla over the next 10 years, 20 years. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you and I talk about this a lot. Like yeah. You can geek out into why I think that is, but that's kind of how I think about it. Yeah. So I balance out my, my net wealth portfolio is a mix of like investment properties, but I, I'm less like Matt. I'm more like, I'm bullish on, you know, Tesla as a company. And I right. think in 10 years, it's going to be the largest company in the world. So I'm trying to buy up as much shares of Tesla as I can, basically. Yeah. So to pivot back to how do you do that? Because you're like, well, we're talking about buying houses, but we use the strategy we talked about. Do the zero down doctor loan, do the 5% down primary, put the other money you've been saving that you thought you needed yep. 
into a company that you believe in. Right. right? And so I think that allows you to do that. Or you're still investing it. Or you could potentially simultaneously take that money that you've saved, work on your business and do a 5% net on that, on that property that you want to own instead of renting as well. So I think there's ways to simultaneously retain cash. The whole thing is protect your capital, put it into investments, whether it's stocks, Bitcoin, houses, whatever, but find the vehicle that's comfortable for you. Stop paying rent for sure. Mm-hmm. And, but like we talked about, it really is a forced savings account. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't mean anything to you pull cash out and buy your next house in 10 years or sell it at some point. Right. Um, but I think you can build those assets very easily, hold on to cash at the same time, invest in those companies you believe in and do your business all at the same time. And I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Right. So that's, that's really the key to figuring out where everybody's going to be a bit unique. What's my best allocation for the asset classes that I want to get into? What makes sense for, for you? So with the doctor's loan thing being taken into account, do you still feel like it's more important to invest in your practice or business first before during the home, even though you're doing zero down payment? And I mean, it just depends on who, you know, if you're someone that's working for a practice, then you're happy there and that's that part is settled. Right. Great. You don't have to worry about that. In particular, if you want to start your own practice, that is going to be, you know, intensive use of capital to right. be able to get that going. Um, it just depends on the person. I, it really, once again, we we don't look at this as just a one strategy for all. Right. It's we a really risk talk profile. To people. I mean, a lot of, of our onboarding or first conversations really is just giving time to let the client tell us what are you trying to do where are your what are your goals and it's not just real estate related it's like what's your goals with your family or with your relationships or you know do you want to travel are you do you love this city is this a temporary thing because right. it's going to change you know you talked about traveling nurses they're probably not not going to want to buy real estate yeah you know maybe they don't want to do a airbnb but they could do a corporate rental which allows a three to six month rental period and you know so we help people that come in not just that are buying but let's figure out because oftentimes people come in and say well i want to check out austin see if i even like it that's huge like, yeah you have to i don't think you should be five minutes in a city and decide I'm going to go buy something. You know, you want to get a feel for it. Yeah. So likely you're going to come in and want to get a rental somewhere to get a flavor for things. Right. And, and so then, I think that's something we can obviously assist in as well. I do have a couple of friends that are travel nurses, and they do want to look into Airbnb properties. Um, so are there any workarounds or um, you know any challenges with having an Airbnb property? in a place you don't live is there any like risk profile with that or anything you have to take into consideration with that let's say she um you know said travel nurse works in california but they want to get a rental property in austin or Mm -hmm. anything like that for tax reasons um are there any issues with that or challenges yes so within the city of austin there are rules about owning an airbnb you can you cannot apply for a license to get one unless you're living there at least six months okay you need to be able to prove that with your utility bills and various things. And then you can get it and you could, you know, average six months here and rent it for six months. The challenge I found with Airbnbs is who's renting them. It's going to be, you know, bachelorette, bachelor parties and people that are coming in and packing a bunch of bodies in there because it's more economical than hotel rooms. Yeah. And maybe don't treat it super well. And I have clients that are doing extremely well. I have all the tools to inform people how to do this, but typically the property suffers your relationship with your neighbors suffer, mm-hmm. yeah. um, it becomes a bit of a challenge typically for a neighborhood. Right. And then if you want to avoid also the licensing issue, you have to go outside the city. So then you have to find an area outside the city that has a big enough draw 
have people come and stay there. What do you need? You know, you need a pool. You need to be able to have double bunk beds. I mean, we have certain formulas. And I have investors that have multiple Airbnbs. Essentially, they become a hotelier. So unless you want to make that a, a part of your life, really a part-time job, it's really hard to farm that out to a company that takes 18 to 25% gross rents and make it profitable. So what I've found, and this is what I've done personally, and I actually have these on either side of me. That's how much I, I think they work and I haven't upset myself as a neighbor, is I do uh, corporate or just furnished rental. So I'm looking at people that are coming in and need to do three months to six months because I don't want to have a ton of turnover. Um, and so I get people that are relocating who have gainful employment here but are trying to figure out you know, what's going on, if they like the town, they don't need a nightly rate. And so they're not coming in to party and make a bunch of noise and do cannonballs in the pool at three o'clock in the morning, right? Yeah. So, so I think, and also, you know, it's something where you could come in as a travel nurse, let's say, buy a property, live in it yourself for three months, and then find somebody that could maybe do three, six or nine months, and you can block out the months that you don't want to be there. If you have at least a month lease, then there's no regulation from the city. This is not a short-term Airbnb. It's not a nightly rate. So as long as you comply and don't, you know, you do at least one month um, at a time, um, and you, that's as short as you can do, then that's great. So I had one that I, I had, and I had a particular rate for South by Southwest that was double my normal rent. And I made sure whoever, whatever tenants I had in there, I'm like, hey, by the way, March is going to be twice the rent. You can move out and find somewhere else to go visit family, but it's South by Southwest. There's, you know, an extra 200,000 people coming into town. I can rent this very easily for that. So what I would do in that month is that's a 10-day festival, um, two-day load-in, two-day load-out, maybe for some teams that were going to stay at that property. But I'd use the rest of the month to do updates, tweak the house, make sure I, it's all functioning properly. Right. So it's kind of built in one month a year where I have a couple of weeks that bracketed that festival to take care of it. So I'm a fan, personally, of, of corporate rentals, and that's what I've done. And I guess I've done it on the properties that are either on either side of me. I have lovely people that come in and stay for three, six, 12 months. So, okay. And I can get about 30% to 100% higher rents, furnished rental. So it's kind of like everything you have in an Airbnb, yeah. except the tenant is more committed to stay. And are you doing this through Airbnb or are you doing this on a separate, like how do you kind of set this up? For somebody who's interested in doing that, is there a resource to go through? Or? Sure, sure. Yeah, so we've helped a number of clients do this. And this is one of the strategies I'll use for clients that are like, hey, we're going to move up. We want to sell the house. I'm like, are you sure you don't want to maybe turn it into a corporate rental? Right. And they say, well, I couldn't get enough rent. And I had this happen in particular, Tremont, a neighborhood directly behind this office. They thought they'd get ten or 12000 a month on the very high side. They had mm -hmm. a lovely 5,000 square foot home with a pool. Um, and I said, mm, I think we can get north of 20000 and they thought I was crazy. I said, well, here's what we're going to do. Drone flyover, video, interior, movie of the property, um, photos. And here's what I'm going to do. I'll help you advertise it here as a realtor. And then I want you guys to put it on Zillow. Well, lo and behold, they got a, off Zillow. They put it out there for a, a minimum. Uh, they, they wanted to do six-month rental. They had someone come in who gave them. We were asking 22000 They got 20000 but they got prepaid for two years. This person just wrote them a check for two years worth of rent. Wow. At that point, they're like, Matt, why would we ever sell this asset? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Well, they call me when it's doubled in 10 years and if you feel like throwing the cash out at that point, then that's fine. And it's yeah. not like I, I don't list properties. I love listing properties. Yeah. But, you know, Your I really, general advice is to My general advice is hold on to your assets. Right. 
because time is going to go by for all of us. Yeah. And just by that time going by, you're going to wake up one day and go, hey, how did my house get so valuable? Yeah. Well, five, ten years are going to go by whether you like it or not. If you own multiple assets, you're going to become wealthy. Okay. And I'm sure you've been asked this before. I mean, obviously, I, I've asked you this, but, you know, in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, they talk about how your houses are non-assets, they're liabilities. So how would you correct that kind of information and like, you know, you've already mentioned in this regard, but where's the misunderstanding with that quote that people take out of context? Because I have had people tell me that, you know, like, oh, I read this book and they said homes are not assets or that's not something to look into. I would agree with what he's saying, but but you have to look at it in your city. Can I rent for much cheaper? If, I, if, my, if my car payment or my house payment is going to be 4x what I can rent for yeah. comfortably, of course. Why would you ever bother? Who cares if you're throwing away? quarter of what you would have been spending on a house. Right. So it has to work within your budget. But if you're spending, spending, going to spend the equivalent amount, especially when you factor in tax benefits as a renter and a homeowner, why would you not have that money sitting there? Now, it's not money you can access. Yeah. But what I would say is he's saying, well, now you're taking 20% of your money that you could be investing and throwing it at a house that's going to sit there for 10 years. Right. What I'm saying is throw 5% at it, take the other 15%, buy rental property, buy assets by plus you're getting you know, that depreciation and everything you mentioned before but once you turn it into a rental you do and right. over time you're getting appreciation right and so you'll be at 20 percent equity in the property in three five years without putting 20 percent down initially right. so hold on to that cash and i think that allows you to make it more of an of a low cost asset mm -hmm. um you know the challenge right now is interest rates are so high it's slowed down the market but that also means you're, you're able to buy in and lock in a much better equity position out the gate. Mm -hmm. If the market turns around in Austin, I think it's going to be a robust turnaround. Right. Then you go ahead and refinance it, but you've built in a much better cost basis. And so you can get to that 20% equity, I think, within the next two to three years. Yeah, so it goes back to your time in the market, except with a home now. So I also, like my personal story, I try to use real estate to kind of balance out my portfolio. I mean, you know, I'm like balls deep in... Tesla, like 90 plus percent of my net wealth, which yeah. is when I say that to financial advisors, they, they like, like shock. Um, I invested in Bitcoin. Like I recently bought an investment property in Matt's neighborhood, even though we kind of bought at the top of the market, I was able to sell a lot of Bitcoin that I bought at four grand. I sold it around 40,000. So 10 X I'm like, I, the way I operate, like I don't get greedy. I'm like, dude, that's an amazing return. Let me put it somewhere a little bit safer, you know, like. Yeah, especially with how the market. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Bitcoin, what did it do? It went from 40, 60 grand down to like 16 or something. Yeah. So I don't care where I bought or how high in the market. All those things were like, we're doing that as a strategy. Like I'm basically like, you know, uh, de-risking my portfolio. Mm -hmm. Um the reason I still am very bullish on Tesla and have, you know, 90 plus percent of my net wealth in it is I think Tesla has got another 10 X left in it in the next 10 years, probably sooner. I, di I didn't expect Tesla to do, to do what it did the last 10 years. I think the next 10 are going to be even more like yeah, saying the growth story. Well, people confuse it with the car company and it's not a car company. Yeah. You're getting like seven startups in one. And so that's where I think people get confused. Like, I don't get it. Like it's a car company. It's like, no, this is not Ford and GM. Yeah, this is robotics. This is AI software. Mm -hmm. This is potential robo taxis. This is, I mean, this is a bunch of other things. This is battery um, storage for energy. I mean, we just experienced ice apocalypse. Yeah, 
smaller yeah. version of Snowpocalypse here in Austin, you know, if you had a Tesla battery wall um, and solar panels from Solar City, which is also a subsidiary, you would have been able to switch off the grid and been on, you know, comfortably on electricity. So yeah. there's a back order for years on those batteries. Yeah. So there's so many aspects that that company has. I wholeheartedly agree. And it's not 90% of my wealth, but it's a good chunk. Right. Also that we, we've invested in, uh, in Tesla. So Yeah, and I, I'd agree. I mean, the same thing, like you said, like looking five years back, you always regret it. And I remember Anwar Beck telling me to invest in 2020. And I was like, oh, this is like too much right now and then i looked at it you know two years later and it was like twice that amount so it's like i've definitely taken his advice and invested any opportunity i get and i do agree i think a lot of like a recent forbes article was talking about how they're not doing well as an ev company but yeah again they forget that there's so many other technology under their bracket so um yeah so leading into that i i know you guys met through tesla and your love for it and that that's your guys shared passion and this podcast is a lot of that um but with that being said, outside of the passion you guys share, have there been any challenges you face together as partners that you've worked through or had to kind of identify that you both are obviously not the same type of person? You have strengths in either regard. Uh, are there any like weaknesses off of each other that you kind of help out with? Or is there anything that you feel like has helped each other to balance out your partnership? I think we're both alpha. Like... Yeah. So it's good to have like a support structure around us. Uh, you're friends with both of us. You can kind of, you know, you kind of, you're chuckling. Like it can't, but we both have like different skill sets. And yeah. I think the thing that. I don't see you both as alpha. I mean, I, I, in regards to like your, your personalization being like, you know, independent and intelligent and stuff but i think like ego wise you guys don't have much of an ego in that uh, yeah unless speaking of ego. ego i think it's more like we we're both like, like doers like we're, we, we're always we're in constant movement right yeah. um and and you have the I positives think, of an alpha without a, the yeah i think so because there's a mutual respect where we also call each other on our shit if right we, if, like something's going on it's like hey bro like hey it's like oh, okay cool and the good news is we're both really receptive to hearing that because yeah. I think you have to be. I right. think it's how you grow as a person, and right. we're not doing it in a mean way. It's like, hey, man, there's some stuff that I think we could better. I'm like, oh yeah, you know what? That's totally right. Yeah. You know? And so I think that's helpful, yeah. but because because we both are very, I don't know, we're both kind of constant energy. Yeah. And just mm -hmm. constantly moving forward. Yeah. And because that's uh, my challenge is you know looking for a partner in dentistry, and a lot of people who listen to this probably you know when you go into a partnership it's like a marriage you have to really make sure it's with the right person you're putting a lot of equity in that person and you want to make sure that it's the right fit long term and you know especially with being friends with somebody before you become partners that's always a risk because it can not only affect the friendship but yeah uh, the aspect of business so i think one thing that he knows and i know about him for sure is like we're very close friends like it's almost like we're, we're family like he can't get rid of me i can't get rid of him like right. we kind of both know that which is rare it yeah it's, it is rare but when we like this thing where we call each other out on our own stuff or things that are around us he always knows like i've got his back like i'm protecting him so any decision because he's always like calling me hey, what do you think about this what do you think about that you know i give him my true opinion right as if you would give a brother or your family member, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not like, I think that's where the mutual respect comes in is like, he knows whatever is coming out. Sometimes it may not be pleasant to hear, but I'm going to tell it exactly as it is because he knows I've got his back mm -hmm. and I know 100% it's the same. It's like reciprocated. Right. So I think having that foundation 
but at the same time like it can seem like we have similar personalities because we're both extroverts but there's there's yeah i think we both have different skill sets too do you think the dynamics have changed since you first met or has it been pretty much the same since then I think it's changed. We, and I told them like when we first met, I kind of, I love like just visualizing stuff. I'm like, dude, it's going to be, cause I came from 12 years of oil and gas, you know, running this Mozambique LNG project. I was like a corporate nine but to five. You were working alone the whole time, right? I was working alone. Yeah. And I used to joke that I was a salesman masquerading as an engineer. I didn't realize like how dead on I was when I was saying all that stuff. But when I joined Matt, I, I mean, I knew that like he had the experience and all this and I was like, hey, it's going to be like Batman Robin for like a couple of years. And it totally was. I just never left the site because I wanted to learn as quickly as possible. I uh, joke with my wife that I'm getting a free NBA in real estate, maybe not even free. I'm just getting paid very well because I'm partnered with him. Who's, it's kind of like, I feel like, uh, you know, like in cycling, how you draft behind people. I was drafting behind the number one biker or the number one realtor so the volume that he's doing like the, i'm seeing what he's doing so what i learned in three years it probably take an actual agent doing it by themselves over 10 years i feel like i jam-packed over 10 15 years of experience like his experience i jam-packed the three years why because i basically am like drafting behind this dude but i told him eventually batman robin becomes batman superman that's when it becomes and we've like transitioned into that the last like year six months or so where like both like I'm becoming more and more confident in myself and what I'm doing, trying to lead, you know, trying to bring, you know, we're both founding partners in a prefab modular company. We're doing other things outside of real estate. I look at myself as like almost like head of business development. I'm like, okay, let me grow what you and I are doing. We don't need to be doing real estate for the rest of our lives. Right. Like, so I see myself as that. Um, so, yeah. So I think that that dynamic has changed, but it's just, I've, I've become more and more confident, I think, over the last three years because I've shifted to a completely different career. That's like, you know, you leaving dentistry and doing something like veterinarian or something or something yeah. very different. I did that. So it was a huge, if there are listeners that are doing that, I mean, it's it's terrifying. Like, it sounds like hindsight. I'm like, oh, it's amazing. You know, it was like, left, I mean, stability. I was getting like paid oil and gas, high times, great money. When I left Anadarko, my friends were like, you are an idiot. Mm -hmm. Like, I literally had good friends sit me down and be like, are you on something? Like, what is going on with you? And I couldn't really explain to them. I was like, oh, like, I invested in Tesla. I'm okay financially. And I met this dude. I, like, he motivated me because he was, like, giving me a hard time. He's like, dude, you're, like, you know, not you're passionate about Elon and Tesla. What are you doing working for the enemy? Well, well, and here's the <laughs> indicator that I got besides the passion about that. There was a... Uh, uh, a worldwide, you know, in um, incentive program they had at one point for Tesla because Tesla has no marketing budget. They don't, you don't see a Super Bowl ad. There's no TV commercials. It's, owner it's, referral it's program. Literally word of mouth, which is crazy to build a company of that size truly on grassroots word of mouth. So they've taken people that proselytize about it like we do, and once you've driven the car, you're just like, oh, that's amazing. And yeah. Then I got, I was fortunate to meet you on the first week I drove, I had my car in 13 and I'm like, okay, I'm down the rabbit hole. I love this company. This guy's a genius. Like I'm, I'm committed to this thing. And I, I think this is an amazing product, et cetera. So same thing. But what I didn't do is get behind this, this referral program. So Ann Marbeck led the globe mm -hmm. in referrals of Tesla's at one point. Yeah. And I, that's a crazy powerhouse because why? Because he believes in the product. You know what I mean? That's why he's so passionate about Tesla, why he invested in it. 
And it's kind of the same way. It's the easy transition to, I think, real estate in Austin. Like, it's not a hard, it's not a sales job for me. It's an education job because I look at our city and what we have in job growth. I mean, we're moving into a recession cycle, quote unquote. Our jobs last year were 52,000. This year, we're only gaining 45,000. Oh, poor Austin. We've gone from 4% growth to 3% growth. That's amazing amount of jobs. Yeah. Five years ago, people's heads were exploding because we created 27,000 jobs here. Yeah. So our recession is a one point reduction in our growth. Hmm. Our unemployment is nil. Um, you know, go try to find anyone to employ right now. It's almost impossible. And so even with this pullback in tech, it's, a, it's, it's based on this interest rate increase. And really these giants of tech aren't vacating Austin. I think what they're, what you're seeing in them shut down are offices in more expensive locations on the coast. And I think it's going to create even a, a greater amount of influx of those people coming this way. And that's the number one metric I look at. Like I said, I'm in education. The more educated I am, the better I can advise my clients. Mm -hmm. And I look at Austin as a growth story that's going to go for the next 20 years. So why would we not try to enjoy? If you knew you could pick a Tesla, you know, back when it was $30 a share, would you have bought some, some money in that? I see us as the same trajectory as a Palo Alto or Atherton Bay Area. Yeah. And look at the last 20 years and what's what's happened. And nothing's parabolic, but it's if you look at the long, stretched out 20-year line, it certainly looks pretty parabolic. Yeah. The thesis that we have on Austin, if you have to dumb it down, like I think Elon and the Musk industry's effect of his companies on Austin is going to be much greater than the Bezos and Bill Gates effect on Seattle. I wouldn't be shocked in 10 years if we're sitting here in Austin, Texas is the global like worldwide epicenter for AI research, for robotics and renewable energy. Like that's saying a lot. Like I'm making a grandiose statement, but I really think that's where we're headed. So that's where like, you know, when we when people are, are investing with us or buying homes, when you're thinking about it in 10, 20 year windows, that's what we're telling people. And I think we're, we're showing them data. This isn't Matt and Anwar Beck being like cheerleaders for Austin. Like we're showing them, here's a job growth. You know, there's a pre and post COVID shift that happened in Austin from more, you know, back office tech jobs to uh, a white collar, you know, like engineering, more like management roles and stuff like that. And Matt deals with a lot of these clients, you know, Google executives, mid-level management. How, how much are they making the, the, the shift? You notice the shift yourself, right? Yeah, so the shift that I saw, this was Google, this was Apple. We had people in HR and making good money, but you know, eighty thousand, twenty thousand. Um, but now what we have is a shift to software engineer teams and their team leads. Well, these people come out of um, you know a college and they're making one hundred and eighty to two hundred a year plus stock options, and they're the entry level software engineer that's coming in at this point. Their team leads make two and a half x that. And so, you know, and they're maybe in their late 20s, right? So this shift from the kind of back office support and the hiring and the customer service and these things that pay here, and then all of a sudden we've got, you know, that that that, that talent pool that's coming here that's building the software for it, that's a massive shift. Mm -hmm. And um, we have a friend, well, we, we, we have a few contacts that, discuss some job transfers. And uh, let's just say there's a, a big line of companies, mostly tech, that are in line to come into Austin. Um, this person couldn't divulge the names, 
But they said people's heads are going to spin when they see some of these names that are relocating here. They're already building millions of square feet here. I kind of run through and try to figure out who may be moving here simply for tax purposes. We have no state tax. Yeah. That's a massive incentive for both the workers that work for them and the companies themselves. And I think what we're seeing is that transition is going to happen no matter what. We just have this little blip where the Fed has decided to mess with real estate jobs to correct inflation. And as soon as they turn that back down, we're going to flip back to a seller's market and people's heads are going to spin and go, wait, what happened? I missed a, I thought it was a buyer's market. It's like, well, rates are now down to 4%, 4.5%. And the market's back to being on fire. Right. And for the foreseeable future, if we don't scare off jobs, there's just more people moving here than we have houses. All right. So hypothetically, you know, you're speaking to somebody like me who's looking into buying a home. Are there any like three variables you recommend to look into or questions that you ask a typical buyer before they even start looking? Or do you have any like guidelines for what's important to look for in a home before you look into it? It's going to depend once again on where you're at personally. Okay. Is how important it is to be right next to work or do I like to hit the trails or, you know, do I have kids and I, you know, give me, give me some advice on that, that I can research. Right. So location um, is like one important location, square footage that you need, you know, all these things we're going to get in the kind of the crux of what you're looking for. Right. And then also, you know, in five or years time, when you're ready to change, my, what I'm going to be analyzing for you is, is this in a good enough location and desirable enough property that you can do something with it where you can hang on to it? So yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm always looking out for my clients' investment strategies down the road. Okay. But really, the number one thing you do is typically talk to a lender. Okay. Right? Because you're not going to go shopping if you don't know what's in your bank account yeah. before you swipe your, your debit card. Right. right. So it's the same thing. People may have <clears> an idea about where their qualifying numbers are, but with interest rate shifts coming with this idea of putting less down, you know, with some PMI involved, et cetera, I want people to understand those numbers, get comfortable with them. Then we take that data and we find, then we back into where it's going to work based on what our, what our, 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 what you're comfortable with on your payment. Let's find the price point that matches. So it's, it's a little bit different than just blasting out a bunch of properties. Good luck. And you think, oh, gee, I, I, you may have a budget up here, but your comfort level on purchasing is down here. Right. And so I want to, you should be able to match those. So that's my intention along with, you know, where do you want to be in the city? Right. I, I would say my thing is before even reaching out to a lender or a realtor, like if I was in your position and let's say in a year or two, I think I'm going to pull the trigger to buy some real estate. I would say education is probably my main focus right now. Um, and going off of that, yeah. do you have any resources that you'd recommend books or podcasts? YouTube, dude. YouTube. I like to me, I mean, I still, I'm in the industry. I do this day to day, but I don't have the wealth of knowledge he does. Like I like 24 seven, I, when I'm watching YouTube, it's not aimless. Like I'm watching, like I'm trying to learn. It's like a free education, right? It's all yeah. out there. I mean, I'll double check with him on certain things that I'm learning, but yeah. I would say that's huge. Is like, just educate yourself as much as possible. Um, find like a support group. Um, before I dumped a bunch of money in Bitcoin, I had a Bitcoin mastermind group. Our financial advisor, Pablo was actually in my master. I spent five years researching Bitcoin reading the white paper like so when i again back to that like warren buffett type i make very few moves but when i do i make them count right it's kind of like a lot of my very wealthy friends are poker players and they explain to me a lot in poker analogies like when you know you've got like an amazing hand and you see what's out there and like you see the probability the way you really grow your wealth is by concentrating 
like you make those big bets. It's not like investing in index funds and S&P 500 and all this type of stuff. I think right. that's what's like helped me, you know, become in, financially independent at a younger age than most people. Yeah. Just to give people a background, what did you do with your retirement savings as an example? When I, five years ago, when I left Anadarko, I took my entire 401k with my financial advisor's blessing and he's a, he's an angel for you know doing this or like talking me through with all this but um we converted to an ira and i bought tesla with all of it okay um so he means what he says when he talks about yeah stuff. yeah um but at the same time there's like i mean i think any person we all have these stories where we've made tons of money and we've lost tons well, of I money i give the flip side to that <laughs> with a financial planner that thought i was crazy investing in tesla yeah back in 13 and I started investing. Oh, you know, I've got these other investments you should be investing in. And I'm like, well, this guy, you know, works for this company. I'm sure he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And so, you know, my, my, this was in a Roth IRA. It was growing for me in my life exponentially. And this guy's acting like he's taking credit because I'm looking at it. I'm like, well, that's based on my Tesla. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, double, it's two and a half X. We need to sell half of it. We'll buy it when it drops back down. Nothing goes parabolic. And I'm like, hmm. I don't know about that. So this guy traded me in and out of Tesla for like six or seven, eight years. And I never looked at that account because it's like, I can't touch it till I'm 58. Well, now I'm 51. And I'm like, oh shit, that's seven years. I'd like that to be bigger. <laughs> I go back and look at what the initial investment was. And if he just hadn't touched it and traded me in and out of it 20 times, let's just say it would have been a lot more money. Yeah. So it's like, I, I try to let that go, but it's like, you know what? I'm, I want to be able to get the best advice. And, and sometimes you also have to have a gut check. Right. Like, 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 uh, was saying, like you're, you, you find that company that you really believe in for hopefully good reasons. You do your research and you move forward when mm -hmm. you've educated enough. And, and to his point, that's the same thing with Austin. Yeah. So if you want to do a little faster or more pointed research, you call us and we can do our hour, hour and a half zoom, also, educate yourself by coming out. If you're going to, whatever market you're thinking about moving to, go visit it for a, a healthy period of time, if yeah. possible, or at least a few weekends in a row, Get a, or different times a year. Get a feel for what it's going to be like to live there. That's all part of the education process right. as well. Um, we can give you our thoughts based on, you know, I drive two, 3,000 miles a month and a half for 15 years, so I know. I think I've sold a house or shown a house on just about every street within 50 miles of Austin. So we've got that and we can help direct you. Mm -hmm. But that education piece from us, from visits, you know, from people that you know here um, or wherever you're looking, I think that's all huge before you jump in. Yeah. that uh, He actually means that, like, we'll include our mobile numbers in the show notes. Uh, feel free to call us. Like, we love showing people around. I feel like we're pretty educated, at least from the real estate St uh, standpoint the other lesson that i've learned from my own experience is like whenever you go seek advice like seek advice in that lane like your financial advisor talk about them with investing with real estate talk to matt with dentistry talk to you know what i mean like yeah. like robin for instance like sometimes i think people give out advice about everything so what i've learned in my 39 years of being on this planet is and i've made mistakes and whatever but like look like if somebody is an expert in this thing, you take advice on that sector, right? Not necessarily everything. Like I wouldn't go to you to have, perform kidney surgery on me, like that kind of thing. I think that, that's a it applies to a lot of different things. Yeah. You don't trust me with that, well, no. And it's and, and and to that point, the number of times I've heard, well, my friend says it's not the right time to invest, and I've heard that for fifteen years. Or yeah. My parents say interest rates are too high, or there's not enough inventory, or whatever. And once again, 
time is going to pass. At whatever point you buy in the market, yeah. and well, I'll give an example. We bought a house, our first house we bought in Austin, Texas. We bought at the absolute peak in 2006 after a six-year run-up. And 07 started to falter. 08 was in complete free fall. We bought a house that we bought at the peak. We moved into it in 08 when the market was collapsing. We lived in it for three and a half years. And fast forward to 10 years of ownership, it's gone up two and a half X. Fast forward even more, it's gone up three X. And it's turned into a rental property that um, that we've we've done cash out refis, I think at least two times, possibly three. And that's another strategy we can talk about, but it's how to get money out of your property, your rental property, without selling it. I call it, you know, shoring the sheep instead of killing the sheep. You can mm -hmm. kill the sheep and dine once. You can shore a sheep for years. So on a house, if you're going to hang on to it and you've, over time has passed and you've got equity in it, refinance that house, pull out some of the equity, use that to buy your next property. The money you're pulling out at that time, you're not getting taxed on because you're taking a loan out on it. So you're basically, instead of selling and paying for tax consequences, you're pulling money out and you're not paying tax on it at that point. You're just using it to go buy something else. And so it's a way to leverage that property. And once again, to talk about investments, rental properties, Kiyosaki would agree, are investments because you can do that strategy again and again and again and continue over decades to pull out equity out of those properties and use it to invest in other properties. Okay. Um, so anyway, uh, it's, it's a, it, it's, a fun rabbit hole we go down. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, there's a number of strategies we can go through. And on that subject with uh, rental properties, is there a difference between getting condos versus houses or is there a benefit on getting one versus the other? So typically I would say your single family home is mm -hmm. going to appreciate more. There's more people that want a little bit extra space. They got a space for a dog. That's going to be a good stable renter down the road, et cetera. Um, as a rental property, you want the name of the game, if you're going to do a 12-month rental, is I want people to be happy and not have to turn over and repaint and redo carpet and lose two or three weeks or a month between tenants. Like, I want those people, I want to raise rents, but not so much I scare them off. Right. And I want to have them stay there and be happy for two, three, five years. Right. So that's number one. Okay. They tend to stay a little bit longer when they're not sharing a wall with potentially somebody who's noisy and has a barking dog or a loud stereo or whatever. So I would say in that respect, that's huge. Mm -hmm. But there's something that people don't factor in, which is depreciation. So on a condo, you actually can depreciate it in a much greater amount. So I'll give an example that say 500000 You buy a $500,000 house. You can only depreciate the structure that makes up above the dirt, right? You mm -hmm. can't depreciate the dirt itself. Yeah. So you're using a theoretical value of half, roughly, on a single-family house, 250 allocated towards the land value, and you're depreciating 250,000. You buy a condo, and you're sitting in a high-rise, and you own a fractional point of dirt. You're able to write off, and almost all your value is in improvements. So you own a postage stamp of the dirt. So maybe 90% of it is a depreciating, is part of the depreciating asset. So you write off a much greater amount. So now you're writing off 450,000 divided by 28 years instead of 250,000 divided on the same priced asset. Well. So I don't love, I'll, I'll flip back again. I don't love condo HOAs. They're yeah, very expensive. That's what I was wondering. You know, flip side, I also, you know, single family homes, you don't have an HOA or it's not very big, but you got to repaint every five years. You're going to have a lot more maintenance that's going right. to be required on the property. So, you know, there's it's going to be once again they kind individualized. Of Are you buying a brand new condo? 
that is has a ton of amenities and the HOA is a thousand dollars a month, or is it you know one where they you know? It, it, so we'll look at each one of those assets, yeah, and determine is this a well-funded HOA that makes sense on that condo? Great. Or is it a house that isn't going to be in fairly maintenance-free condition because the previous owner replaced the roof and the AC and the foundation's in good shape and the plumbing's in good shape and all these things that typically break down okay. have been replaced? Well, that's something that's got a 10-year life pretty much before right. it requires a ton of maintenance or at least five years. So you guys would help kind of assess that we, for you to help with the decision? It's really the value of seeing that many inspect, I mean, thousands of inspections, probably tens of thousands of homes I've walked into. Yeah. Being able to go with a critical eye and go, here's what's good, and here's the negative. Right. And we need to walk out the door because there's too many negatives on this one. And once I've walked through 10 homes with a client, they're picking out that, oh, yeah, this was built in 1960, which means you probably have asbestos and cast iron plumbing and aluminum wiring. Let's find out if they've changed all those. Oh, they haven't? Oh, that's thirty thousand dollars in plumbing, right? And you know, five thousand to just pigtail the electric, and so you start, you start the red looking lines. at these, and people, you don't get fooled by the paint and the staging. Yeah, what's the structure? Is it going to hold up? Has yeah. it been properly improved? Uh, a lot can be told by the age of the home. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, these are things that we get into a little bit in the weeds yeah. right now, but these are aspects that we start getting into when we actually are looking at homes and i will talk people out of a dozen homes if i think hey these are red flags yeah um and and when you find the one that clicks on 80 90 percent okay that, that makes sense okay cool um outside of that i think uh yeah for the most part i had some just questions about your guys partnership but i feel like you answered that you matt i don't think you covered what you feel and rebecca brought to the table that you didn't feel you had was there anything particular that you thought was unique about him anwar beck is a motor right people i can are, people are born with two cylinders or 12 cylinders <laughs> turbocharged yeah this guy's got like four two you ever seen those cartoons with the big thing come out of the hood that's sucking in air and the thing's revving and yeah it's going like crazy yeah that is this gentleman so yeah. the invigoration that i felt and not that i'm i was like you know not the enthusiastic person that i am right but I lone wolfed it for a long time. And I had a, you know, I had assistants and agents and stuff, but nobody that really partnered in the way where, and I've told people, listen, you're going to learn a lot just by being with me. And he took that to heart and was attached at my, at the hip. And so not only was he getting the benefit, I was getting the benefit of having a great time. Yeah. Like, like we get home at the end of the day, still three years later. And like, we'll be like, dude, have fun tomorrow. Like, can you believe what we did today? Because we we do the coolest stuff, and and only part of it is real estate. Yeah, it all tangentially ties in, but we're hanging out with people in the startup space and founders at this, and you know, land developers and folks in the tech world and people that run VC funds, and I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I like being around people that have that are enthusiastic or doing fun stuff you know, genuinely vibe with other people, want good stuff for other people, want to see the city, our friendships grow, all do cool stuff in our space. And when you click with those people, it's, it's, it's so much more fun. So I would say what Anwar Beck has brought is like a energy and a passion for just kind of reinvigorated uh, me in a way that I didn't even know I needed um, or I, or I wanted, but it's just, we have a blast. Yeah. And so that quality of life is the gift that he's given to me. And it also makes you, it makes you be able to be more successful because you have that attitude. You're in, you're running on 12 cylinders. Yeah. It kind of reminds you what 
you love doing he kind of adds that and yeah i can attest to that for him i feel like every time i hang out with him when i leave i'm filled with this like energy and lust to do more and be more and he has what i call the reality distortion field i'm sure you've heard that before you mentioned that's hilarious uh, it's very much similar to steve jobs where if you're around him he creates this field around himself that takes reality and distorts it completely and makes you believe anything's possible (laughs) and somehow always comes true you know like we've been in a gigafactory event and he'll tell me like we're gonna go meet this person or do this and we end up doing it even though like all odds are against us uh and yeah that's what i love about and Rebecca, and i love when you guys are together i think like it's like this synergy that kind of combines there's definitely chemistry like we both we try to like evaluate and analyze it ourselves when we have these days where we finish it i look at him i'm like oh my god yeah that was a crazy day yeah like, can you believe what we just did? And a lot of where I get excited about us is not only the energy and like, you know, we have passion for what we're doing, but like I extrapolate out yeah. five, 10, 15 years. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I think we're in the right city. We're like in the kind of the right pockets. We have a lot of passion and energy still left yeah. in the tank. And like, to me, that's what's exciting to me is, and a lot of like both of us, I think the common element that we have is I kind of see if you have to break it down or simplify it in life, it seems like there's like the pie is finite people. There's pie is infinite people. There are a lot. I, I didn't realize how many pies finite people are out there where like for Hamza to win on has to lose. I, I got studying my life, 39 years of it. I'm like, there are a lot of people like that. One thing that attracted me to him is like, I felt like I finally found like my brother where like, where we both have that pie is infinite. Yeah. Let's create opportunity. And we surround ourselves with other Madden on Warbeck type of energy and spirit. And like, we're, I mean, I think part of why we're successful is we truly have that compassion towards people. We treat people the same. Yeah. But like, we, it's like, we're both magnets, right? And we like these other cool people, cool people, know cool people. So I feel like we've surrounded ourselves with this like amazing atmosphere. I mean, you're part of that equation, right? Yeah. Like we have all these people, we they're not just clients, they're friends, you know, yeah. they become lifelong friends. Which it sounds trite, but it's true. I mean, the number of people like our friend group, I realized, oh yeah, we met through a transaction. Like, I mean, it is, it is amazing. And mm-hmm. to your point, cool people, know cool people. Five, six years ago, I worked with my last jerk. And this person, and you realize that person's never going to be happy. That person just lives in a negative space and is a complete energy suck. And I worked so hard to try to win this person over. And I didn't even get like a thank you for this great deal we put together and all this. And I'm like, okay, so that sucked. That person, like, was so much psychic energy that I just lost on that. Yeah. And guess what? That person, if they have any friends, they're going to be just like them because birds of a feather flock together. And I only want to be around people with the kind of energy where I get excited for other people's success. I get excited when other people, you know, have grown in some capacity, like that charges me up. I mean, and so, you know, that's really the biggest thing that I think we, I think we both have that energy and we recognize it in other people. And, you know, that's not everybody. Try to convert people, but sometimes you can usually tell that person that is just, yeah. you know, pick apart every single thing and is a naysayer across the board. It's like, oh, this is not going to go well. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if this is all going to work yeah. out. And having the freedom to be able to, to, to surround yourself by amazing people and have that choice. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very liberating. Yeah. And it's a lot more fun. 
And so and, if it's not fun, I don't I don't want to do it. I like working with fun people that yeah. are appreciative and kind and good people. Right. And he doesn't have like an off button. Like the way I've seen, I've been with him not only as a friend for eight years, but as a partner for three, Matt just gives himself fully to his clients. I yeah. mean, I think part of what the success there is no secret formula. He works his ass off. He's probably one of the hardest working people in all of Austin, definitely in the real estate space. Yeah. But what I've seen is like he's, I tell, I tell him sometimes, I'm like, bro, pull it back. He's generous to a fault. Mm -hmm. That's like not only with our clients, but like with people around us or whatever. I'm like, hey, man, like, you gotta, like he doesn't know how to not do that. So it's like, it's better to do that with cool people that appreciate right. him and what he's doing, right? And not like jerks that like just take, take, take. take and they don't know how to give back. Right. And we've been, we're very, I mean, you see this, like we have a lot of acquaintances, but I don't think we have a whole lot of like true friends. Like we keep that pretty close. Yeah. You know, like we're both like family friends, friends, like, but outside of that, like I try to protect them sometimes because uh, yeah, I mean, I think Anna and I, his wife, we, we, we both see that yeah. side of him. We're just like, dude, like you're just doing too much. Yeah. And he worries about people. He worries about people on our team and you know, like our people that are assisting us and helping and clients. And like, I feel for him sometimes I'm like, dude, like, like when you sleep at night, he's worrying about all these things. Yeah. Right. But that's actually what's why he's successful so you help him create boundaries where i try to yeah as much as possible that's good. yeah anna and i i think anna and i try anna, to like my wife is amazing she has such good like social iq for yeah people and she's she's like my she's my litmus test for a lot of things in life yeah. but yeah. you know i will i will go to the mat for people and you know sometimes she'll be like matt you, that's enough yeah. You know, like that. And then and Anwarbeck's the same way where they'll be like, okay, you oh, exceeded expectations. You don't need to keep going on that. And I appreciate him saying that, but it's, I mean, I, I mean, all business is personal. I really feel that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I don't know how else to be, but yeah. I think it's part of why, because pe people ask me all the time, like, what's your secret? And I'm like, I, I'll tell anybody, I'm realtors, anybody that can I follow you around? Can I talk, take you to lunch? Can I pick your brand? I'm like, sure. I tell them everything I do. But, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's the execution, the passion, the, like I said, I do the seven days a week, but I don't feel like it's work. I mean, I, don't yeah. know, I worked in teaching and that was very fulfilling, but I knew exactly where I'd be at every day. You know, there was no like, so I love like the, my day changes. I love a client calling me and saying, hey, this property, I just you just sent me, this looks amazing. Can we get in the car now? And I'm like, oh, cool. My day just changed. I get yeah. to go look at a badass property with the person I like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. To me, it's not work. Yeah, it's, you're just, I feel like even when I speak to you, you're the same Matt. And yep. when we're doing home realty, like when we're looking at homes and the same Matt, when I'm just at a party or yep. at an event, hanging out with you. I mean, today, take for instance, we we usually start our day on the Town Lake Trail. That's my favorite part of Austin. Mm -hmm. uh, you live on the trail, so it's like a little over 10 miles. Matt and I meet every day at the same spot and we walk almost two hours. It's a way for two partners to connect, brainstorm, you know, we health this first. That's like our way of reminding each other. Um, but today we met with a friend who's like one of one of the guys is uh, you know going to be kind of a commercial partner trying to expand into the commercial side of things. And others a developer, software engineer. We got some things we're brainstorming from a you know uh, prop tech perspective. 
Uh, and then an architect friend of ours called and he's like, oh, I want you to come check out this, what, $10 million house. So we went in like, there's like champagne being poured. I'm like, again, I look and then now we're doing this podcast with you. This is actually like a pretty normal day. That's what's like wild about like our careers. Like it's, it's insane. Sometimes yeah. I look back, I'm like, oh my God, this is so many different things going on. But it's like, we're, we're having fun. We're learning. We're around cool people. Like it's just exciting to extrapolate forward to see what happens. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And I'm glad that you guys had time to do this today. Um, I think that's pretty much a good coverage of everything. Um, obviously, if you guys are okay with doing a podcast individually, I'll have you guys on again. Uh, and I'll have more questions for you guys if anybody brings up anything. Um, but again, I want to thank you both for being in my life and being great influences. Like you said, you're always like a representation of the people you are close with. And I've tried to stay close to you guys because I really want to replicate your guys energy and positivity and everything so i appreciate it and uh with that being said uh this is hanging out with hamza and i want to thank you both for hanging out with me and uh do you guys have any closing thoughts or anything uh do you want to share your social medias for people to follow you at sure I have social media. yes <laughs> you do my so if you guys are on instagram i know uh, a lot of you guys I, I love the the figs ambassadors and stuff like that but uh um, I'm kind of like an ambassador for Tesla. I feel like I have a Instagram handle, Super Tesla Geeks. It's pretty memorable, Super Tesla Geeks, and uh, we will include our mobile numbers. We're I'll Matt put and it I are, the bio. Yeah, we're too. super accessible. Like I think, like what Matt was saying, he truly means. Like if any of you guys are thinking about possibly moving to Austin, or you want to come see what the what the, all the fuss is about. Come call us and get in the car and spend half a day and we'll try our best to like kind of be brand ambassadors for the city. Yeah. Um, and you guys um, can ride around in Teslas with them. You get to ride around in some really, really fast Teslas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if this guy has a lead foot, I'll just I'll just go ahead and put that well, I'll, uh, I'll be respectful. I'll ask there. people, do you want to feel the speed or do you, are you just want to drive around yeah. in a very calm, quiet car? Yeah. Uh, but we can choose either one. Um and yeah, um, Matt's uh, social media. I'll leave. Oh yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm still Matt. It's Sells Matt Sells Austin. Austin. I'll Instagram. Yeah, I'll uh, leave uh, both of their socials in the bio, um, <laughs> along with their numbers. If you guys need to call them, just feel free to give them a text uh, or a direct message on Instagram. And um, yeah, if you guys have any other further questions, they're more than happy to help you in the real estate market. Thanks, Hans. Um, this was awesome. Yeah, yeah, man. This was fun. Thank you guys for having me just on. Just hanging out with a friend. Just yeah. Chatting. Just talking real estate. But <laughs> yeah, we'll talk to, more about Tesla next time. I feel like we don't want to scare away too many of these people who haven't we converted. Can, we can go Tesla. deep. Yeah. We yeah. Can, how many hours do you have? We didn't even touch anything yeah. on Tesla today. We'll, we'll save it. We we'll do a Tesla episode next time. But yeah, <laughs> thanks for hanging out and I'll talk to you guys later. Take care.